for you and I are alike. And there will come a moment when you have a chance to show it. To do the right thing. I love those moments. I like to wave at them as they pass by. So that's it then. That's the secret grand adventure of the infamous Jack Sparrow. He spent three days lying on a beach drinking rum. Welcome to the Caribbean, life. Legends of piracy, the legends of famous names that cruise the seas, and I always wondered why they called them the high seas. Maybe they're cruising somewhere lower than the upper Atlantic or the upper Pacific, so maybe it's the low seas or the mid seas, and you know the pun, how come pirates can't spell? Because they begin everything with seven C's. Um, why do pirates... Why do pirates... Well, I'm going to get this pun, pun right. Why do pirates see... Or let's try to get it right. Um, how can, what, why do pirates only see certain movies? Or why can pirates only see a specific type of movies? Because everything's rated R. I know, and everyone's just kind of just going, oh dear God. Where's the pause button or the skip button on this segment? Well, I've always wondered that, and I've wanted to study a lot about piracy, and this is, this was before the Pirates of the Caribbean. It's just it wildly it's wonderful. Who wouldn't want to picture a life on the seas? Picture a life back in the, in the 18th century. Of sailing on the high seas and living a life of glorious adventure. And to some people, there's a romanticized side of it. Something that's just really cool. And this was before Pirates of the Caribbean came out. And yeah, Orlando Bloom and and Johnny Depp with Jack Sparrow kind of made it all more wonderful for me. Something that was just great. Something that I just really, really liked. Now, say what you will, and maybe every, everyone has people that they like and people that they don't like. I'm not a Keira Knightley fan. I kind of thought that I don't really, I don't really like her that much. She's not, I, she's not a great actress to me. I don't like her that much. Um, but I won't say, I won't say a movie that she's in, if she's in it with a couple of other actors or actresses that I really enjoy, I will still see it. Um, I kind of think that her casting in the Pirates of the Caribbean was kind of miscast. I don't think she was right for the role. She did a good job at it, that I will admit. She did a good job at it. I just don't think she was right for the role. And I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Just like I I'm gonna I may toss in at the end here, Back to the Future. I thoroughly enjoyed that as well. Um the Alan Silvestri theme was magical. And I hopefully will try and include that at the end, a little bit at the end here. And I just, I thought it was amazing. But I wanted to delve a little bit more into some notes and some research that I've done through the Smithsonian, through Wikipedia, through other historical sections and historical articles that I've tried to find out about different pirates and learn, look into different legends and different legacies of them. I did one on a while back, and I forget the exact number of it, but I did one a while back on Calico Jack and Calico Jack Rackham. 
and and Bonnie and Mary Reed. And that was all wildly, wildly interesting. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to clear my throat. Wildly, and I'll probably have to cough later on. That's how it happens with allergies. Um, wildly entertaining to me. And one of the things, one of the pirates who's wildly entertaining to just about everyone that I wanted to get into, I wanted to get more on, is I wanted to teach you a lesson. Teach everyone lessons. Get it? Double pun intended. Blackbeard. Edward Teach. So, while you're rolling your eyes even more, I'm going to get into it. And it's interesting, because three centuries after his beheading, a kinder, gentler Blackbeard has emerged. And a lot of this is from the Smithsonian articles by Andrew Lawler. So I'm going to credit him and just research a lot of the, the articles. And they, there's a picture or an illustration and I'll, I'll include it in the in the podcast Facebook community on the fiasco. Y'all snuck up on me too. And I'll so you can see what what an illustration of Blackbeard was like. And it's interesting since his head was separated from his body three hundred years ago that month the month being November of 2018, Edward Teach, or or T-H-A-C-H-E, also known as Blackbeard the Pirate, has served as the archetype of the bloodthirsty rogue who once roamed the Caribbean and the Atlantic coastal waters. Only in the past few years have genealogists, historians, and archaeologists thanks to a combination of hard work and good luck, unearth surprising clues that reveal the man behind the pirate, one that Blackbeard himself helped spawn. In his day, merchants whispered his name in fright. Blackbeard. Reports circulated of a large man with a fierce fire and wild will, eyes who kept a brace of three pistols on a holster across his chest and a, and a tall fur cap on his head. Lighted mustaches, lighted, lighted, not mustache, well, they were on his mustache, so it kind of made it look lighted, <laughs> lighted, the, the appropriate word there was lighted matches, made his luxurious beard smoke like a frightful meteor. This pirate According to a British account written half a dozen years after his death, frightened America more than any comet that has appeared there for a long, long time. But Blackbeard vanished abruptly when a British naval expedition, personally funded by Virginia Governor Alexander Spotswood, ambushed him and most of the men in a bloody battle off Okrakoki Island on November 22nd, 1718. Blackbeard's head was stuck on a piling off Hampton, Virginia as a warning to other lawbreakers. The fearsome buccaneer never scared Hollywood producers, however. Blackbeard gained notoriety in the mid-20th century when a 1952 movie, Blackbeard the Pirate, proved very, very popular. Half a dozen films centered on his exploits followed, and he emerged as the quintessential cinematic pirate, 
In 2006, he garnered his own miniseries detailing his search for Captain Kidd's treasure. He even had an encounter with Jack Sparrow in the 2011 Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Saw that movie. I liked it. This, these representations further embellished a legend that long ago overwhelmed historical truth. The real story of Blackbeard has gone untold for centuries, said Bayless Brooks, a Florida-based maritime historian and genealogist. Even the most basic biographical details of Black about Blackbeard have been hotly disputed. No one knows the year of his birth or even its location. Some claim Bristol in Western, in Western England. Others point to Jamaica. Still others insist he was from North Carolina or Philadelphia. His early life is a complete mystery, but few had attempted to trace Blackbeard's family tree. On a lazy summer morning in 2014, Brooks wondered if there might be records of any teaches or, te or thatches in Jamaica, one of the places the pirate was said to consider home. Then he remembered his, subs his, subs his subscription to Ancestry and began his research there. I expected nothing, he said, but then I got a hit. It was a, it was a baptismal record of Cox Thatch, a son of Edward and Lucretia Thatch. T-H-A-C-H-E and T-H-E-A-C-H were common variants of teach. In the Jamaican settlement of Spanish Town in 1700, this was all in about two hours over coffee in my favorite chair, Brooks recalls. Brooks knew, and I'm, I'm losing the context of Brooks, because like I said, I'm losing the context of what I was referring to Brooks. It just says Bayless Brooks. There it is. I know you're going back going, you just said it a few minutes ago, but I'm staring at my notes and it kind of losing my track a little bit. Brooks knew that an English visitor to Jamaica in 1739 made reference to meeting members of Blackbeard's family residing in Spanish Town, and his mother was said at the time to still be living. My life had changed, said Brooks ever since he has been on the paper trail of the pirate's family tree, with the help of Jamaican researcher Diane Golding Frankson. He discovered that Edward Thatch, who Brooks believes was Blackbeard's father, was a captain and a man of status who remarried twice. Lucretia, believed to be Blackbeard's mother, was his last wife. The real treasure that Brooks found, however, was a yellowed 1706 document on a shelf in which in the parish archives retrieved by Frankson, written about the 60-gun Royal Navy ship Windsor while it was anchored in the harbor off Jamaica's Port Royal. The author was Edward Thatch's son, who bore the same name. In this deed, Thatch turns to his late father's estate over his stepmother Lucretia for the love and affection I have for and bear towards my brother and sister Thomas Thiech and Rachel Thiech 
his half-siblings. If the assumption is correct, and Brooks is right, the Blackbeard, then Blackbeard joined the Royal Navy, and magnanimously turned his, fa turned his father's estate, which, as the eldest son, he inherited by law, over to his Jamaican family. Checking the Windsor logbooks, he discovered that Edward Thatch, who arrived in England aboard a Barbados merchant ship, on April 12, 1706, the young man joined the crew while the ship was anchored off England's Isle of Wight, near Portsmouth. In Brooks' in Brooks's telling, Blackbeard's family left Bristol while the pirate was still young to seek their fortune on the wealthy island of Jamaica, where sugar was known as white gold. They owned enslaved African Americans and appeared to have been of high social status, while the young Edward, likely in his mid-twenties, would leave home to join a merchant ship, and then the Royal Navy is not clear, but it may have been a natural step to achieve advancement as well as nautical experience. The historical Blackbeard is far different from the rampaging maniac, or Robin Hood of the seas, that is a figure of myth. Brooks's thatch as well is a well-educated man of social grace, literate and capable of using complex navigational equipment. This background would explain why, shortly before his death, he hit it off so well with North, with North Carolina's governor, Charles Eden, another le and other leading members of the colony. The pirate might have been upset over the demise of the House of Stuart that put George I a German speaker, on the English throne, which severely enraged and angered him. Perhaps the reason he renamed a stolen French ship the Queen Anne's Revenge after the last Stuart monarch. Other historians have recently noted that despite Blackbeard's terrible reputation, no evidence exists that he ever killed anyone before his final battle on Ocracoke near Cape Hatteras, when he was fighting for his life. He likely cultivated that murderous image, says Charles Ewan, an archaeologist at East Carolina University. Scaring people was a better option than to damage what you are trying to steal. <coughs> See, there's that cough I was talking about earlier. Brooks admits he cannot definitely prove that prove his thatch is Blackbeard. But other scholars believe believe and find Brooks's case compelling. It makes sense and it seems credible, says Ewan. But some are more cautious. There is some validity, adds historian Angus Constam, but it is not yet tied up. What drew Blackbeard to piracy? a decade after joining the Royal Navy. It is not a matter of dispute. It is not a matter of dispute. In 1715, a fleet of Spanish ships left Havana for Spain filled with treasure, including vast quantities of silver. An early hurricane wrecked the ships on Florida's Atlantic coast, drowning more than a thousand sailors. English pirates, privateers, which I always thought was funny. 
I always thought it was funny that there was a term called privateers. Because essentially, and this is boiling it down quite a bit, essentially what a privateer is, is a government-sanctioned pirate. That's essentially what a privateer is. Now, no, I don't, by government, I don't necessarily mean a government of the Caribbean islands or of the U.S. I mean, like, the British or the U.K. That's essentially what a, a privateer is. That's, like I said, that's boiling it down quite a bit, but that is essentially what a par- privateer is. A government-sanctioned pirate. And others, particularly Jamaicans, descended on the area to plunder the vessels... Sparking what Trent University historian Arnie Arnie B I A L U S C H E W S K I. Sorry, Arnie, I'm going to butcher your name there if I try to pronounce it, so I'll just spell it and hopefully you guys can take a swing at it. What he calls a gold rush. Blackbeard first appears in the records as a pirate at that moment. His career, like so many of his colleagues, was short lived. Within two years, he was dead. People have this romantic notion of piracy, but it was not a cushy lifestyle, says Kimberly Kenyon, field director for the excavation of the Queen Anne's Revenge, which went aground outside Beaufort, North Carolina, and was abandoned shortly before Blackbeard's death. Kimberly Kenyon's team has hauled more than 400,000 artifacts to the surface, from two dozen massive cannons to a fragment of a page from a 1712 travel book. Blackbeard was known to plunder books as well as commodities. The pirate may have had a fondness for good food too, since records show that he kept the ship's French cook. The archaeological team has also found remains of a wild boar a wild deer, and a wild turkey, a sign that the crew hunted fresh meat. And the time has only excavated... And the the time... And the team has only excavated half of the wreck, the world's only pirate wreck to be scientifically studied. But if Blackbeard's... But if Blackbeard was loath to use violent means, he certainly was ready to do so. The ship was heavily armed with 250,000 bits of lead shot, 400 400 cannonballs, dozens of grenades, and many muskets, as well as a total of 40 English and Swedish cannons. Disease likely posed a greater threat than the Royal Navy. However, as evidenced by the uh, as evidenced by the Urethral syringe found by archaeologists still bearing traces of mercury, a popular treatment at the time, which was a popular treatment at the time, for syphilis. The recent archaeological finds, coupled with Brooks's research, may have made Blackbeard even more enigmatic, says Kenyon. He is no longer the cardboard villain of the past, but he is personally, his personality and motives are still unclear. He continues to be so elusive. There are so many facets to his personality. That is what makes him so wildly, wildly interesting. There's a lot that that you can get. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of information about Blackbeard. A lot of things that you can get, you can get about him. And what has been, <coughs> what has been certain, or what has been identified, at least from 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 what I've been able to dig up and able to find out, is that what I thought was really cool he's, is that he did light little matches at the end of his beard, at the end of his mustache. He did have little fuses or something on the end of his mustache and beard and stuff like that. And he, w- he would light that. That would be lit like that. So it would see- seem like if he was willing to do that, he was, be able to- he was made more fearsome and more more overpowering and overwhelming to anyone who came across. And, I- and that's what I've been able to d- dig up and able to find out was the-, was the actual truth of what he actually did do that. For the 18 men aboard the French merchant ship Rose and Lee, the evening of August 23rd, 1718, had been shaping up to be as routine as the 167 days before, the days or evenings before, that had preceded it. And since they'd left, since they'd left Nantes, they spent the spring following the winds and currents across the Atlantic to tropical Martinique. Also, it's also from the Smithsonian, but this one is from Colin Woodard, so I'll credit him as well. Much of the summer, unlo- and they spent much of the summer unloading French cargo, and taking on bags of cocoa and barrels of freshly refined sugar. Now they were following the Gulf Stream home, in the company of another French merchant ship, sailing just a stone's throw behind. And to and to the leeward, the other French ship was. The American mainland had disappeared beyond the horizon days before. The next day would raise Bermuda above the horizon, the final waypoint before making landfall in Europe. Then, as the sun sank low in the sky, someone spotted sails bearing down on their stern. Over the next three hours, the sky grew dark. And the vessel drew closer. Picture this story. Picture this image in your head as I'm reading it. It just it takes you back to the golden age of piracy. It takes you back to being on those ships when Blackbeard is approaching. And it takes you back to all that. It's just to me, it's just such a uh, just a wonderful yes, maybe romantic a uh, figure of the romance of days of piracy. A sloop with Spanish lines better to the... Sorry. Over the next three hours, the sky grew dark and the vessel drew closer. To the Frenchman's relief, it was a tiny vessel. A sloop with Spanish lines better suited to shuttling cargo between Caribbean islands than to crossing an ocean. Still, something wasn't right. What was it doing out here in the open ocean, they thought. And why was it on an intercept course with the Frenchman's much larger ocean-going merchant ships? As a mysterious sloop overtook them and pulled alongside, they knew they would have answers soon enough. In the last moment, Captain John Goupil, G-O-U-P-I-L, Captain John, Captain John Yan, or John, Captain J-A-N, I'll let you make up your mind for my mispronunciation there, 
would have seen three cannon muzzles rolled out, rolled out of gun ports on the tiny sloop sides, and dozens of armed men crowded on its decks. He ordered his crew of seventeen to prepare for action, getting Rose and Rose Emily's four cannons to, to the ready. Remove yourselves, Gupo's men cried out to the man on the sloop, or we will fire. On the tiny sloop, a tall, slim man with long black beard poked poked his head out and barked out an order. His helmsman threw a tiller hard to, hard to the lee. His men released ropes and sails, briefly flapping. The strange vessel suddenly swung hard about, shooting by in the opposite direction. Gupo's skin, skin may have turned cold. The sloop, the pirate sloop, swept down to the unarmed to the unarmed ship. Minutes later, the vessel's wooden hulls came together with a moan. Pirates swarmed over the gunwales and onto the ship's deck, seizing the crew, perhaps as many, perhaps as human shields. The bearded man had fooled him. Now he found himself facing not one attacker, but two. Soon the bearded man was alongside again, and his men discharged their cannons. Musket balls flew over Gupal's head. There was nothing to be done. He turned, he turned the ship into the wind, drifted to a halt, and surrendered to the bearded man. Blackbeard, the notorious pirate, had captured his vessel and one other, two vessels total, more than twice the size of his own, a feat described here for the first time in the article and that story I've just read. He could not have known that these would be the last prizes of his career, and that in just three months he and most of his crew would be dead. But of all the pirates who trolled the seas over the past 3,000 years, Blackbeard is the most famous. His nearest rivals, Captain, Captain William Kidd, Captain Kidd, and Sir Henry Morgan, weren't really pirates at all, but privateers, and as I've described, government-sanctioned pirates. That's what I've described as a real, what a privateer is. Government-sanctioned pirate. Mercenaries given permission, see, mercenaries given permission by their sovereign government to attack enemy shipping in a time of war. That's what a pirate is. They're just doing it legally by the government sanction. Blackbeard and his contemporaries in the early 18th century Caribbean had nobody's permission to do anything. They were outlaws. But unlike, but unlike the aristocrats who controlled the British, the French, and the Spanish, many ordinary people in Britain and the British America saw Blackbeard and his fellow pirates as heroes. Robin Hood figures fighting a rear guard action against a corrupt, unaccountable, and increasingly tyrannical ruling class. So great were these pirates' reputations, daring anti-heroes and noble brigands, 
that they have been sustained ever since, inspiring 18th century plays, 19th century novels, and 20th and 21st century movies, television shows, and pop culture iconography. In his lifetime, Blackbeard, who terrorized the New World and died in a ship died in a shipboard sword fight with sailors in the Royal Navy, captivated the public imagination like no other. He has never let it go. And yet, Blackbeard's life and career have long been obscured by a fog of legend, myth, and propaganda. Much of it contained in a mysterious volume that emerged shortly after his death. A general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious, most notorious pirates. Nobody knows for sure who wrote the book. It was published it was published pseudonymously in seventeen twenty four, but the general history almost single handedly informed all the accounts that have come since. Parts of it are uncannily accurate drawn word for word from the official government documents. Others have been shown to be completely fab fabricated. For researchers, it has served as a treasure map, but one that leads to, to, dead, to dead ends as often as it does to verifiable evidence, which scholars would covet like gold. In recent years, however, researchers have dug up new evidence buried in the archives of England, France, and the Americas, or beneath the sands of the American coast, allowing them to piece together a fuller and extremely compelling picture of Blackbeard and his cohorts. Pages are just, I know pages are just jumping around here. And I'm trying to find my place, as tends to happen all the time whenever I try to sit down to record something. The pages jump around and my notes jump around. I have to try and hunt them down and try to find where I was. Beneath the, sand, beneath the sands of the, of the American coast, allowing them to piece together a fuller and extremely compelling picture of Blackbeard and his cohorts. One that shows him to have been a canny, a, a canny strategist, a master of improvisation, a showman, a natural leader, and an extraordinary risk taker. Researchers are often drifting around. Researchers are often drifting around without a rudder, not sure what pirate stories are real, says underwater explorer Mike Daniel, president of the Maritime Research Institute in Jupiter, Florida. There is a lot of these amazing stories not just about Blackbeard but about any pirate in general and Blackbeard's stories are amazing because you hear things about him and you hear legends about him and you wonder is what I'm hearing actually who this man was that's kind of the question you always have to ask is what I'm hearing what he actually was is what I'm hearing who this man actually was or has his legend, has his stories been twisted over time? And I would say probably, probably a good bit of it has been. But it's very, very, it's just all very, very interesting. And the legend and the golden age of piracy and the stories of pirates and pirates just incredibly awesome. And another thing that's incredibly awesome, I wanted to stick in 
the Alan Silvestri's, like I just said earlier at the beginning of the episode, stick in Alan Silvestri's Back to the Future. So, thank you all for sticking around. Thank you all for hanging with me all the way through. Stick around for a little more in the end here. Check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there. True, true friends of this podcast. Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout out. Want to check out the best travel vlogger and videos anywhere? Go to Atlantic City, Disney, Six Flags, all along the Atlantic City boardwalk, and go to Vegas. Check out the New York channel, N-U-Y-A-W-K, on YouTube. You will be thoroughly impressed and thoroughly entertained. You will love every second of what you're seeing. Go to YouTube and check out N-U-Y-A-W-K. You'll love what you're seeing. You'll enjoy every second of it. Want to check out the environment, the climate, the planet, and everything we can do to have an impact on it? Check out City Climate Corner on all the podcasting platforms, Apple Podcast, Spotify, on everything. You won't be disappointed. You'll enjoy and love what you're listening to.